Can't beat that. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 4. 2 Kings, chapter number 4, as we continue in our series entitled, The Lord God of Elijah. Of course, at this point, Elijah is dead and gone. And the main man now is Elisha, who had been a servant to Elijah. But although Elijah is dead and gone, God is still in business. I'm glad that today as we think back all of the all of the history that has happened, all of the great saints that have come on the scene, played their part, left this world, and yet God is still very much alive Amen. and active in our lives. Second Kings chapter four, just three verses. Verse 42, And there came a man from Beth Shalishal, and brought the man of God bread of the firstfruits, twenty loaves of barley, and full ears of corn in the husk thereof. And he said, Give unto the people that they may eat. And his servitor said, What should I set this before a hundred men? Question mark. And he said again, Give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, They shall eat and shall leave thereof. So he set it before them, and they did eat and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. One of the most important things about Bible study is that you consider the context. If you don't do that, you'll always get into trouble. This is really especially true when you consider the miracles in the days of Elisha. Keep in mind that God is not just writing down history, not just imparting information. God is teaching us something, and all of these miracles were designed to convey a message, not to entertain. Uh, one of the reasons that I'm convinced that a lot of preachers today uh, certainly are not being led by the Lord is because it seems like that their main priority is to promote themselves. Uh, you can imagine someone with miracle working ability like Elisha going from town to town. I mean, you can just picture it in today's setting the headlines of the newspaper, all of the radio stations carrying the fact that the prophet Elisha is going to be in town, going to be performing miracles, da-da-da. There was none of that because God's intent was not to entertain people, but rather to instruct them. Now notice back in verse number 38, because this helps us to establish the context here. And notice it says here that the sons of the prophets were gathered there around Elisha. In other words, we might think of a Bible college today, and Elisha is the professor, and the young preachers are gathered there in the prophet school, sitting at his feet and learning from him. And we saw last week where there was death in the pot and how that he solved that problem. Now keep in mind, these men are God's messengers. 
In other words, it's going to be their job to declare God's Word to a stubborn, rebellious nation. And that's, that's not an easy undertaking, by the way. And they knew right up front that they're going to face hardships, they're going to face opposition, and in some cases, severe persecution. So they know that, and they knew that in and of themselves, they're not sufficient. They're not able to deal with this. They need help. They needed God's help. And if they needed to learn anything about the ministry, it's this, that God will provide the needs of those who trust Him. Thank you, ladies, for that song. It could not have been more appropriate for the message because tonight we're speaking about sufficient supplies and here we find these preachers being taught by the Lord, as it were, that he is trustworthy. And in this instance, a meager amount of food is used to feed a multitude. Now, let's notice as we break this down and think about the story itself. First of all, in verse 42, you'll notice that we are introduced to an unnamed prophet, unnamed man. Uh, we have no idea. A man from Beth, Beth Shalishal, and, and notice that he brought the man of God bread of the first fruits. Now, that's interesting to me, and it's interesting because it's intentional. God left this out for a reason. This is not an oversight. God's doing it on purpose because He wants us to think about it. Why didn't God give us the name of this man? He could have. He, he could have told us about his family. He could have told us about his experience, his, uh, you know, all of the things that he had done. But he just leaves all of that out. There's just, a, just a man comes to bring a meager amount of food to the, to the prophet of God. And God just totally ignores all of that. And it reminds me there are a lot of unnamed soldiers in the army of the Lord. There's a lot of people that get no recognition, a lot of people that are working behind the scenes that nobody ever notices, and what they do is just as important as what anybody else does. So this man represents all of those that are faithful to their God-given duties. A lot of folks have dropped out of church over the years because their reasoning goes like this. Nobody appreciates what I do. Nobody cares. I, you know, I'm faithful. I serve the Lord every week. I do what I can. I don't get a pat on the back. Nobody takes any notice of me. And I tell you, everybody likes to be appreciated. But what do you do when you don't get that appreciation or that notoriety? What do you do when you're called upon to work behind the scenes? Well, this man represents you. This is the man in the sound room. This is the woman in the nursery. This is the bus driver. You know, this man's representing all of those that usually get no attention. God knows their name, and really that's all that matters. Because you see, God never forgets what we do. Hebrews 6.10, it tells us that God is not unrighteous to forget your labor of love. You know, God's always watching every deed that we do, every contribution that we make. 
Everything that we do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is duly noted by the Lord. And that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Aren't you glad that you can invest your life in something that is worthwhile? that you can invest your life in something that will pay dividends for all of eternity. So don't worry about whether people know your name or not. I've known a lot of young preachers that have fallen into the trap of wanting to make a name for themselves. A lot of young preachers that have tried to promote themselves. A lot of young preachers that, you know, I had had one several years ago tell me and his main interest was being a nationwide evangelist. He wanted everybody to know about him. You know, that's a, that's a tip-off to a problem whenever a preacher has that, that, that kind of an attitude. You see, I think all of us tend far too often to try to draw attention to ourselves instead of keeping our focus on the Lord. And God knows that. And so God is just simply saying to these preachers, look, you don't have to win a popularity contest to be used by me. Everybody doesn't need to know your name. That's not important. So God leaves that out. But notice what God puts in here. We don't know His name. We don't know anything about His family. But we know where He came from. Now, keep in mind, we're still talking about the context of all of this, and it's important. It comes from a place called Baal Shalishah, and it simply identifies this as a place associated with the worship of Baal. Now, Baal, of course, is the heathen god that in their mind was their provider. And I know that because the word Shalishah is a word that emphasizes the number three. It means three. Three in the Hebrew was the lowest form of the plural. You had the singular, you had dual, and then, uh, and, and then you had the plural, which began with three. And, the, and whenever you talked about the number three, multiplicity came to mind. And, and so here we find Baal identified with multiplying their goods. And so this is their mindset He's from a place where people consider Baal to be the main provider. Now, if it was in America today, at least for some, it'd be Uncle Sam. Yeah, I mean, that, that's who they look to as their, their provider. And, and, and it's so amazing that whoever it is, the problem is just as bad because they fail to recognize that it's God that is the provider, not Baal, not the government. So here the Lord is teaching us that He is well able to supply the needs of His people, whoever they are, even when they're unknown. But notice, He uses a man to do this, an unnamed man, but He uses a man. And I think sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we pray, well, dear God, just, you know, just shire down your blessings upon us. Lord, do this and do that, but understand that for the most part, God uses people. And we need to recognize God in the lives of other people. I think we sometimes fail there, don't you? Somebody makes a contribution, and I'm not talking about money. It might be money. It could be a number of things. They use their talent. They give their time. They expend their energy. 
in some way or another, they contribute to the ministry of the church. And so many times we fail to give God the credit for what somebody has done. And God's the one that deserves all of the credit. You see, He's the provider, but He uses people. Now, notice some things about this man. First of all, I want you to notice his awareness. He was aware of the requirements of God. You'll notice that he brought the first fruits. So here is a man that lives in a, a, a place among heathen, but a man who is well-versed in the Bible because he understood that in the Old Testament that the first fruits were demanded by the Lord. Now, for you kids that might not understand, this is sort of the way that it worked. The first fruits was the beginning of the harvest. In other words, right off of the top, before they ever, you know, took the food for themselves, before they ever stored the grain, before they ever partook of it themselves, God said, I want the first fruits of the harvest. Now, that principle has never changed. God always demands the first fruits. Always. It, it, his part comes off of the top. Now, a lot of times, whether it's in regards to money or whether it's in regards to our time, we give God the leftovers. And if you'll read in Malachi chapter number 1, you'll see that's what got Israel in trouble with God. They were giving God the leftovers. You know, the old sheep that were halt and maimed and blind and diseased and sickly, and they were going to die. So they said, well, we might as well just give this to God because the priest is going to kill the sheep anyway, so we'll keep the best back for ourselves. And, and God simply told them, look, I'm not going to accept anything you've given me. If that's your attitude, if you're going to give me second best, as it were, if you're going to give me the leftovers, you can forget it. And God still feels the same way. And here is a man who is aware of his responsibility to God. Now, keep in mind what the situation was at that time. They're going through a difficult time. There is a, a, a famine in the land. There are people that, that are hungry. There's a shortage of food. And if there was ever a time that you might say to yourself, look, ordinarily I would give God the first fruits, but we've got some extreme circumstances here. We, don't, we just simply don't have a lot. And uh, I'll give God His later. But this man acknowledged the fact that circumstances never excuse us from doing what God has commanded. Now, we all understand that we're going through some tough times in America. I've got to tell you, it could get a whole lot worse before it gets better. But the worst mistake that we can make in all of this is to leave God out of the picture thinking that we have got to do everything we can to protect ourselves, to take care of ourselves, and so we just cut God out of the picture. And when we do, we cut our own throat. Amen. Now think about this, man. In that situation with a food shortage in the land, and his family members, maybe, maybe his own children, inquire as to where he's going. He's gone out into the field, he's reaped the first fruits, and he packs it all up, and he heads out of town. And one of the kids, you know, Daddy, where are you going? I'm taking this to the man of God. I'm taking it down to the prophet. But, Daddy, if you do that, we're not going to have any food. And can you imagine the reasoning of the rest of the family and the neighbors and everyone? I mean, have you lost your mind? Have you become a religious fanatic? What are you doing? You can't afford to do that. 
But he did. Their reasoning said, you've got to conserve. You've got to cut corners. You've got to hold back. When we're going through better times, you can do more for God then, but not now. And so you think about the opposition that he might have encountered, but better than that, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the testimony that he made, the testimony that he left. I'll guarantee you, regardless of what anybody else in the family or the neighborhood thought about what he ought to do, everybody had to be impressed that here was a man in a time of great need that took what he had and first of all gave to God just like God required. So we see his awareness. Secondly, we see his affection here. Now you see there's a lot of folks aware of their responsibility but they lack the motivation to do anything about it. Here is a man that's motivated by love. First of all, motivated by his love for God. He's obeying God, doing what God commanded him to do. But there's also a genuine concern on his part for other people. And you see, folks, when we really love God, it always translates into love for each other. Always. We can talk all we want about how much we love God. We can stand and sing, oh, how I love Jesus. But if it doesn't affect the way you treat other people, that's a lie. And John made that very clear over in 1 John in several different places as he alludes to the fact that if we love God, we'll love each other. And so here we see this man's awareness and we see his affection and I'll tell you, I've noticed that if people are not motivated by love to do something, you can get up in the pulpit and you can harp all you want about their responsibility. You can beat them over the head. You can embarrass them. You can do anything you want to do. But you'll never get them to do their Christian duty on a regular basis until they're motivated by love. The motivation of love is the only thing that will, will keep us going continually in our service for the Lord. But then notice his acknowledgement also. Now, we're still talking about this unknown prophet, unknown man. And uh, notice his acknowledgement. You say, well, what do you mean? I simply mean that whenever he brought the first fruits, who did he bring it to? Who did he give it to? Elisha. Who's Elisha? Elisha's the man of God. He's the prophet, you see. And he understood that Elisha was God's representative. Now, this is important because it shows me that here is a man that's doing what God wants him to do, but he's doing it through the proper channel. You see, there's a right way to do things. God's way is the right way. Amen. I mean, he could have taken it anywhere else and it would not have been acceptable. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle and later the temple, those were the God-ordained houses of witness. These are the places that God had declared that He would dwell among the people, that He would manifest Himself. And everything they did centered on the tabernacle and then the temple. They could take their offerings, their sacrifices out to someplace else, and they, they could just freelance it. They could just decide, you know, well, I... I can worship God down with the river just as well as I can at the temple. And so there's a nice big oak tree down there. I'm, just, I'm going to just conduct services down there. Just me and my family, we'll meet down there. 
And none of that would have been acceptable to God. Now, the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because we need to understand that the Lord's house of witness today is the church. It's the only institution that Jesus Christ founded. It's the only institution that Jesus Christ authorized to do His work. That's one of the reasons why we don't work through mission boards. Now, it's not that we're angry with those people. I've got good friends that, you know, that are Southern Baptist, Baptist Bible Fellowship, ABA. I started to say NBA. I don't, <laughs> I don't have any friends in the NBA. BMA or whatever it is. We believe that the Lord does what He does through His church, and the church does not need the so-called assistance of some man-made organization to get the job done. And so whatever we do by way of the giving of our money or our service for the Lord, we ought to do it through the ministry of a local church. We ought to acknowledge that as God's house of witness for our time. Now, notice the last part of verse 42. Not only do we see here the concern of an unnamed man, we see the command of the prophet. Notice, notice what he says, verse number 42, the last part of it. And he said, give unto the people that they may eat. Now, that does two things. First of all, it demonstrates his sensitivity to God's leadership. His sensitivity to God's leadership. He could have said, listen, he could have said, wow, thank you. Now I've got a little left over. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're honoring me by giving all of this to me. But he's sensitive to the leadership of God. And notice, secondly, he's sacrificial in his nature. He doesn't keep it for himself. He takes what God has given him. And what does he do? He gives it to the others. He tells the servant, you take that and give it to the people. Now, to do that, you've got to believe that in doing that, that God will take care of your needs. And you see, this is a lesson that every preacher, every Christian needs to learn. And certainly, those preachers there that have been gathered at His feet and learning from Him, they need to understand that if I do what God wants me to do, God will take care of me. We've got to learn to depend on God rather than ourselves. I've repeated it over and over again. Down through the years, I've had so many preacher friends say, look, you've got to take care of your retirement years. Well, in the first place, I don't have any plans to retire. Now, God might put me on a sick bed and I'll not be able to preach, but that'll be His doings. It will not be me retiring. Now, He can retire me if He wants to do that. That's His business. But unless he does that, I have no plans to retire. I plan to preach till I die. That's God's will for my life. But they've said, look, you've got to make plans for that. And what you need to do, you need to make some investments. And others have said, you know, I've got, I've got a good deal for you. Uh, I, you know, I'll hook you up with this insurance company. You can sell insurance during the week. Well, I don't have time to sell insurance. I barely got time to go fishing, you know. And so, I, why, why would I want to sell insurance? Amen? God didn't call me to sell insurance. Whenever I think back to those early years in the ministry, I've got to tell you, 
it was a little bit scary. And I can identify with how these young preachers must have felt. You know, that if I just uproot myself from my family and friends and I strike out, you know, across this nation preaching the Word of God to a people that are hostile, a people that will hate me, a people that will persecute me. Who's going to take care of me? Who's going to take care of my family? We don't need to worry about that, folks. i got a good preacher friend who just broke my heart some years ago. A church had uh, called him and uh, inquired if he'd be interested in coming to candidate for the church, which he did. But when he did, he took with him a list of all of the things that he had to have. I mean, there had to be the car allowance. There had to be the provision of insurance. He had to know up front in detail exactly how much everything was going to pay. And his reasoning behind all of it is that I've got an obligation to make sure that my family and I are provided for. Now, that sounds reasonable. But, you know, I, I don't know. I found it just a whole lot better to figure out where God wants me to be and get there and stay there and just trust God to take care of my needs. And you know what? It's worked for nearly 42 years now. So I think God knows what He's doing. He's able to take care of our needs. Now, notice the confusion of the servant in the first part of verse number 43. And his servitor said, What, should I set this before a hundred men? In other words, I mean, this isn't nearly enough to take care of all of the people that are here. So he's thinking in terms of what he could do instead of what God could do. And he's confused because he's depending on reasoning rather than revelation. In other words, he's not depending on information that he got from God. He's depending on what is at hand. And probably he felt as Philip did. Do you remember the story when Jesus fed the multitude? And that was on the day the little boy had the five barley loaves and the two little fishes. And, and the Lord says, I want you to go feed the people. And they said, well, you know, we've just got a little bit here, hardly enough for anything. And Philip said, and what are these among so many? How are, we, how are we going to make this work? I mean, this isn't logical. It just doesn't add up. It just doesn't work. And no doubt this servant felt the same way. This isn't nearly enough food to feed all of the people. But you see, he's confused because that's not the real issue. The issue is not the loaves, but the Lord. That's the issue, the Lord. And a lot of times we, you know, we look at what we've got and we look at what we think that we need and we focus, you know, on what we have instead of focusing on what God can do. And it always gets us in trouble when we do that. A lot of folks don't even understand the way that we do our budget, you know, here. We do our budget not like some major corporation does. We're not in their kind of business. We're in the God kind of business. And we fig we just simply figure out the best that we can, what we think that each ministry needs, and we nail it down right there. And there's been some years, I'm telling you, that you look at that and then you look at what we've been bringing in and you scratch your head and say, well, wait a minute, we can't do that. Well, we have. It's worked every year. It's never failed. You see what I'm saying? Let's stop looking at what we don't have. Start thinking about what God can do. And here we are facing this merger, facing selling this property, selling the property from the other church, purchasing the other property there on 1960. 
And we're, so we're thinking about how in the world is all this going to work out? I don't know. I don't have a clue. And, and i got to tell you, I'm, not, I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm not. Amen. I'm concerned about it. I'm not worried about it because God is God and He's going to do what He wants to do. Amen. Now let me ask you this question. And you better think. <laughs> Would you be perfectly content and happy if God just simply made it clear that, wait a minute, I'm, I'm going to make you all stay right where you're at for another two or three years? Amen. That's what I wanted to hear. Now, we all believe that God is directing us in that direction, and I have every reason to think that that's going to work out. But I'm telling you, folks, we've got to understand that, that, that this is God's business, and we need to let God do what He's going to do. Because if we start trying to do what God ought to be doing, we're going to get in big trouble. You know, for example, in America today, there's a lot of emphasis on the church growth movement. Now, who in the world doesn't want the church to grow? We all want the church to grow. I mean, you know, uh, we, we all wish we could have what we did on Friend Day. We stopped counting at 311. Man, I wish we had that every week. That would be awesome to think about, you know, and, and we'll get there. We'll get there. But, but, but that's not the point. We're not going to resort to the tactics of this world you know, those that talk about being a seeker-friendly church and uh, promoting all of the church growth ideas, we are not going to do that so that we can add to the church. Listen, we can add to the church in that way anytime we want. All you got to do is have Bobo the Clown and Zulu the Gorilla and put on a big party, a big show out here, hide a few hundred dollars under the, under the lucky seat out there, and well, people will come in for that stuff. Sure they will. We talk about being a New Testament church. Let me tell you how the New Testament church operated. Here it is. And the Lord added daily to the church. The Lord adds to the church. When the Lord does the adding, we get those that we need. We get those that He put there. And if we get those that we put there, we're headed for big trouble. Now, the servant's confused, just like a lot of people. I don't see how this is going to work. Notice the confidence of Elisha here in, in the latter part of verse number 43. Notice what he says. Here's his answer. He said again, Give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, they shall eat and shall leave thereof. Do you notice what he's doing? He repeated what he had already said. But notice that he, he adds these words. He, the, the same command hadn't changed. He's not changing the message. But he adds these words, For thus saith the Lord, they shall eat and shall leave thereof. Now that shows us something. It shows us that Elisha had received a revelation from God. In other words, this is not something that Elisha just pulled off the top of his head. It's not some idea he came up with. This is something that God had instructed him to do. God told him what to do, and He told him also what He would do. So this is a promise. And Elisha claimed it. You know, that's what we ought to do. As you go through the Bible, and I mean just again and again, go through the Bible, and I, I love the way Peter put it whenever he talked about those exceeding great and precious promises. 
And this old book is full of promises. And you need to get acquainted with the promises and you need to claim the promises. His actions are based on a revelation that God has given him. Now, I believe certainly that church ought to follow the leadership of its pastor, but the pastor better make sure he gets his information from the Lord. Amen? You follow the pastor only as the pastor follows the Lord. And Elisha is following the Lord, so God is the one that's behind all of this. And now notice, having said that, having claimed the promise, Having expressed his confidence, notice the consequences of obeying God. Verse number 44. And he set it before them, and they did eat, and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. Now this story teaches us the importance of knowing God's will, believing God's word, and obeying God's command. I'm going to repeat that. He's teaching us here the importance of knowing God's will. If you don't know God's will, you're going to be messed up all the time. Knowing God's will, believing God's word, obeying God's command. That's exactly what's going on here. And when that happens, whether it's way back then or whether it's today, when that happens, good things happen. And I believe God has good things in store for us whenever we do what He commands us to do with the right attitude. If we obey God, we will never lack for God's supply. And that's what we see. Notice that God supplied the needs of the people. Now notice I said need, not greed. God did not supply the greed of the people. And God's not always going to give us everything that we want because a lot of times there are things that we think we need that we really don't need. That happens to every single person in this building. You look at your life and you think to yourself, I really need that. I mean, I really do. And we've got 40, 11 reasons, you know, as to how we can justify trying to get that. We need that. I've got to have that. It's very important that I have that. God just keeps His hand closed and refuses to give what we think we need. Why? Because God's a whole lot smarter than we are. It's not because God doesn't like us. It's not because God is stingy. Not because God is selfish. It's because God knows what we need. And what we need sometimes is less than what we got. Really. I'm telling you the truth. Prosperity has ruined far more people than poverty ever has. Now notice what happens. God supplied their need God satisfied them. I said He satisfied them. Let me give you a verse of Scripture. You might want to jot it down in the margin of your Bible. This is over in Isaiah chapter 58. It might be you've never read this. It has to do with the same nation. And God, as He's dealing with this nation, I want you to listen to this promise that He makes in Isaiah 58 verse 11. And the Lord, notice, the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul. Now, listen. Satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And he goes on and on. And what he's saying here to the children of Israel is, look, it doesn't make any difference what the circumstances are. I'm going to take care of you. 
And we can believe that today. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. God supplied their needs. God satisfied their desires. Number three, God surpassed the needs of the people. In other words, He provided above and beyond their immediate need. I want you to notice the words leave and left. The same word, actually. Leave and left. They ate, and and notice what happened. It tells us that they ate, there in verse number 44, and left. Verse 43, they shall eat and shall leave. Now that does not mean, in the Hebrew, it does not mean they're going to come and eat and then get up and go. That's not what he's saying. That word leave there means to have left over. It means the remains, the excess. It means to have more than enough. That was the promise. That if you do what I'm telling you to do and you give to the people, not only will I meet their needs, not only will I satisfy their desires, but after they have fed themselves, after they've been satisfied, there's going to be some left over. Isn't that great? Listen, that's the way it was when the little lad, remember, with the loaves and the fishes, and the Lord fed the multitude, and they began to gather up the remains, and there were twelve basketfuls left over. You see, God's not a stingy God. God is now giving them above and beyond that which they could have, you know, ever expected. And here's the lesson that is being conveyed to them and to us that God not only takes care of our present needs, God has promised to take care of our future needs as well. That's why I love Ephesians 3 and verse 20 so much, that God is able to do exceeding abundant above all that we could ever ask or think. Isn't that wonderful that God is able? We've got to be careful that we do not limit God through unbelief. That's what happened to Israel. We had an entire series here in Sunday school on that uh, a year or so ago. Limiting God through unbelief. That's what it says to the children of Israel. Can you imagine puny man limiting God? How can we do that? How can we limit God when God has all power? We limit God by our unbelief, by our reluctance to trust Him, our unwillingness to obey Him. And if we will trust and obey the Lord, we don't need to ever fear about whether our needs are going to be met or not because God's going to take care of it, folks. Uh, Every time I think about this, I can't help but think about George Mueller, you know. George Mueller, though, there in Bristol so many years ago and, uh, and, and founded all of those orphanages. I'm thousands upon thousands of little kids that did not have homes. And, and George Mueller did that without ever telling other people about his needs. He, he just took it to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you know, you know how much we need this. And you've heard me use the illustrations before that certain mornings they didn't have food to eat. He had all of the children to come in and to be assembled there in what we would call the cafeteria to come in and eat breakfast. And there's no food there. And he is on his knees praying. And there's a knock at the door. 
And it just so happened that, you know, the milk wagon broke down, got all this milk they got to get rid of. It comes in, and all of a sudden there's another knock on the door, and here's the bread man, and he has brought over, you know, a big excess of the bread, and, and the kids are taken care of. And it's like one miracle after another. That went on for years and years and years, all because here was a man that was willing to trust God. So let's keep our focus on God during these tough times. This is, listen, this is not a time for us to get discouraged, not a time for us to run and hide, not a time for us to despair. This is a time of great opportunity. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, it's a great opportunity in several ways. Number one, a great opportunity to reach people because they're much more susceptible uh, you know, to the influence of God's Word when they're going through tough times. You know people that you'll never be able to reach as long as they're living in the lap of luxury. But boy, when the economy, you know, crashes and they don't know where they're going to get their next meal, how they're going to pay their bills and send the kids to college and all of that, all of a sudden, strangely enough, people start going back to church. They're looking for help. They're looking for something. So it helps us in that way. It helps us to reach other people. But it also helps us personally in another way. And it helps us to see what God is capable of. What God is able and willing to do. Sufficient supplies and God is the source of our supplies. That's why Paul said to the church in Philippi, he said, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory. Notice he did not say He'll supply all your need out of His riches as though to deplete them. But he said, I will supply, God will supply all your need, not some of them, all your need according to His riches in glory. And the amazing thing about God is that God's supply never lessens. It makes no difference how much we take out of it. There's always an ample amount there for us. Isn't it a great thing to be a child of God? Amen. To know that you're a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ and that your heavenly Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and He owns the hills and He owns the gold under the hills. He owns it all. And He wants to take care of His people if we will trust Him, if we will obey Him. Let's bow our heads together. Father, thank You, Lord, tonight for reminding us again of Your great love. And not only Your love, but Your ability to take care of Your children. And no doubt, Lord, there are folks here tonight that are wondering to themselves, how am I going to make it? What am I going to do? There are folks with physical problems. There may be people here with domestic problems, people with financial problems, whatever it is. And Lord, I, I realize how easy it is when we're faring well to just tell others, don't worry about it, God will take care of it. But Lord, when it gets right down to the nitty-gritty and it becomes personal with us, all of a sudden it's a whole lot more difficult to deal with. It's easy for us to tell others that all things work together for good until all of a sudden the rug's pulled out from under us and the world comes crashing in and we have to face that truth ourselves. 
So help us, Lord, not to be judgmental of the failures of others in this area, but may, may we be an inspiration to others. And during those tough times, remind us that it's not our job to make things happen. It's our responsibility to seek first your kingdom to put you first in all areas of our life and to serve you faithfully, to do as you command regardless of the circumstances and believe that if we do that, you'll keep your promise. Thank you for that assurance tonight. And Lord, just maybe somebody's here tonight that's never been saved. They, they don't know you as Father. They don't have that wonderful assurance that we believers do. How we thank you for the one this morning that came having trusted Christ as her Savior. And it just might be somebody else is here tonight in that exact same situation. A member of the church for many years, active in the church and serving you, but never really truly born again. May it happen tonight. In Jesus' name.